was an army chaplain. My soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I'm today I'm taking the um, real question of what happens when you mess with God's symbols of salvation? What happens to someone who does that? And we meet someone who does that in our stories today. The, the saga of King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he's called Nebuchadrezzar um, in Hebrew, but Nebuchadnezzar in popular language. So when, um, when they translated this, they translated his name Nebuchadnezzar. Seems like not a big deal, but uh, there must have been different ways to pronounce his name. When he built the city of Babylon, he had his name stamped on every brick of that city. Uh, you can still dig up those bricks and see his name on some of them. When Saddam Hussein rebuilt the city of Babylon as an archaeological reconstruction, uh, he had Saddam's name, his own name, put on each brick in that reconstruction. Nebuchadnezzar built the Ishtar Gate. The Ishtar Gate, much like uh, other artifacts from the ancient world, was taken piece by piece to Berlin, where I think it still is in Berlin. You can go see it today. So Saddam Hussein had to go and reconstruct the Ishtar Gate. The Ishtar Gate is that beautiful blue glazed tile um, city gate, which must have been amazing in the bright sunlight to behold. Nebuchadnezzar was the powerful king of Babylon. Babylon is pretty close to Baghdad, Iraq today. Um, it's about 500 miles east of Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar has come a long way to, to take over Jerusalem. And he does it quite easily. Jehoiachin surrenders to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar takes all the gold and silver vessels from the temple. He takes all the artisans, all the learned people, all the warriors. He takes uh, everything of value that could be seen to be of value. But one thing he does is he leaves the temple in place. He doesn't destroy the temple yet. The king surrenders. Everybody surrenders. It's kind of over for them. And it seems like it's over for the God's people. Um, it's, it, this happens really suddenly. There's a couple kings here at the end. Josiah dies in battle. Pharaoh Necho kills him. Doesn't say how, but kills him in a battle. Then there's a couple more kings that last for about three months. And then there's, you know, this our king that we meet today in the reading, Jehoiachin. Um, and, or Jehoiakim, excuse me. There's Jehoiakim and then Jehoiachin. <laughs> and some of them get their names changed in the middle of the story. But these, these are the kings that preside over the final days of Jerusalem. Uh, and we must pay careful attention to these gold and silver vessels. The gold and silver vessels from the temple were meant to collect the sacrificial blood of the sacrificial victims, the bulls, the oxen, the lambs, the goats that were sacrificed there in the temple. And the meat of those, those animals was used to feed the people and also to feed the priests that worked in the temple. And 
This was the salvation mechanism of God's people. The temple was a symbol, um, or an external symbol, real, external picture of a deeper reality that worked in God's plan. That that just as everything we do, everything that we do that hurts each other and hurts other people and hurts ourselves, um, is a wounding and a killing of them and a killing of ourselves. So these animals provide atonement for the sins of people. It's a symbol. It's a visual symbol of what is happening. As you would go to the temple with your animal and you'd lay your hands on the hand of the animal and the priest would cut the animal's throat. And this is kind of grisly, but it's actually how, if you eat meat, this is how all the meat that you eat is made. <laughs> uh, and then you would feel the life go out of that animal. And this would be a visual and very visceral, literally, reminder of what your sin and what a relation, what your sin was costing something and really ultimately costing God. And so this very visible symbol of the temple is stripped of its gold and silver vessels. These vessels were to carry the blood of the covenant, the blood of the sacrifice, the blood that inaugurates the covenant between God and humans. And it was pictured in this temple. And so when Nebuchadnezzar takes all this stuff out of there, um, he is taking away the visible symbol of salvation that they had. And let me tell you straight up, you don't mess with the symbols of God's salvation. You don't mess with the salvation of God. And when Nebuchadnezzar messes with the salvation of God, he steps in a hornet's nest that he will never, ever extricate himself from. He is gone where he should not have gone. And even though he is extremely successful, eventually the next king that's appointed, the uncle of Jehoiachin, is appointed, Zedekiah. Um, he's 21, and he rebels against the king of Babylon. This time, the king of Babylon comes back and destroys the temple forever. Solomon's temple is gone, destroyed, leveled. Not one stone is left um, standing there, um, except for the base stones of the foundation, which are then become the foundations of Herod's temple, which are the western or railing wall that we can go visit today. And people still pray there today. But he messes with their, the symbol of salvation. And this is something we must all be careful of doing. When God is saving God's people, don't mess around with it. Don't take it away. Today, for Christians, the symbol of our salvation is the Eucharist. It is a central symbol. In other words, a visual thing, a physical thing that participates in a deeper reality in heaven. The picture you see of the Eucharist being celebrated and observed is an up and down picture. It is the stairway to heaven. It is God and humans connecting in that thin place, in that connection between heaven and earth. That is the, the symbol. So we don't mess with that either. Um, and when I say we don't mess with it, we don't treat it in a light or flippant way. And we certainly don't use, we certainly don't use and abuse the symbols. This is why we treat it reverently and, and with dignity. Doesn't mean we don't have joy. But the kind of joy that Nebuchadnezzar wants to have with these vessels of gold and silver is simply to, to brag about it, that he captured it. And eventually, he has a party. And in this drunken party, he calls for these vessels to be brought out. 
and he says, let's, let's drink out of these vessels, the vessels that carried the blood of the covenant. And they drink and they have this huge party. And that is the night that the writing on the wall happens. Mene, mene, tekel ufarsin. You are weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom will be divided and taken and given to another. You're over Nebuchadnezzar. This is the night that his kingdom ends, the night that he brings these vessels out for his big party. So as we think about um, reverence and messing with God, um, with God's plan of salvation, Nebuchadnezzar can't do it. He is a weak king. There's one thing he cannot do, and that's stop the salvation of God. And no matter who has power over you, whether it's emotional power, whether it's physical power, coercive power, power of, of economics, or whatever it is, they can't mess with the ultimate power in the universe, and that is the power of love. That is the power that comes from God. The power that God says, I'm saving these people. I'm redeeming these people. They are precious to me, and we have a covenant together. Nothing you can do can separate you from that love. Nothing that anyone can do to you can separate you from that love that God has for you and God's covenant has been made with you um, through Jesus Christ. Amen. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed the strength of his arm with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath holpen his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers Abraham and his seed forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Apostles' Creed on 53. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Colic for Friday. Almighty God, whose most dear Son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for mission on 58. 
Lord Jesus Christ, who did stretch out thine arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of thy saving embrace, so clothe us in thy spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know thee to the knowledge and love of thee, for the honor of thy name. Thank you.